going? My name's Todd. This is Gabby. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 686, which are all even numbers, which I know you're happy about, sweetie. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is the best predictor of a child's well-being, is a parent's self-understanding. Why, why do I need even numbers? Because uh, you like when things are calm. <laughs> We like, watched like uh, the Queen. We watched The Crown last night. What episode are we on? Uh, five, six. And uh, it's slow, but it's good. Yeah, you gotta you gotta dig in. You gotta like no, that's you don't dig in. You gotta like relax. Buckle up. Buck, well, you don't even have to buckle up. You gotta take need, the seatbelt off. You've gotta be like, okay, I'm gonna like get relaxed and comfortable and follow this. Mm-hmm. And it's not really that complex. It's just it's not it's not like. It's not super easy. It's the opposite of uh, what we used to make fun of our kids' shows because they were like all 90-second scenes and they would have this hype. Good luck, Charlie. Good luck, Charlie and Jesse. And there was like high colors. Like everything was about brain stimulation. Every 30 seconds. And then they play music and then change and then they transition. And I don't know the new Disney shows because my girls are too old for them now, but I'm sure it's the same because, Mm -hmm. you know, that's how you keep. So The Crown is like, it's a a slower burn. Let's just say that. Um, On today's show, the main topic is going to, I think we're going to call it, Why Am I Triggered? Why uh, am I triggered? Why am With I a question triggered? mark. Why? Why? Um, I pulled this. I don't know where I found it, but I found it online. That internet has some things on it, sweetie. <laughs> it's got a few things. Um, and this is from an at happy as a mother, whoever they are, but thank you for putting this graphic together. And it's titled, Why Does My Child's Behavior Trigger Me? And I think we're going to expand it out beyond motherhood and fatherhood. Sure. And just talk about some of them are are very specific to children. And I think that's kind of important to sometimes with children, it's a little different because they, their brain is different than our brain. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it, I think some of them lend well to other relationships as well. Um, but first we're going to do this, my darling. Okay. So take the photographs and still friends in your mind. Oh, it's my Zen parenting moment. Hanging on a shelf in good health and good time. Tattoos and memories and skin on trial. For what it's worth, it was worth all the while. It's something unpredictable, but in the end is right. I think that's good. I hope you had the time of your life. Oh, it's good, sweetie. I know, but you know what? I didn't include that more familiar refrain. I just did the two lines, I, I think. I know, but then people leave getting mad because they don't hear the, I've had the time of your life, just like that. Why is the name of that song called Good Riddance? It's such a beautiful song and a heartwarming song, yet they call it Good Riddance. Like, isn't it like... Oh, I'm cool? sure there's a story there. Yeah. Uh, maybe they're being ironic. Here, I'm going to look it up. You You keep talking. Um, well, Kathy does these end parenting moments every Friday, and it takes you about a minute to read. So if you haven't signed up for it, just scroll up on your phone or down or whichever way on your phone, and you can sign up very quickly. Just put in your email address. But this one's called Grateful Pointing. Mm. And the reason I played that song is because uh, she always starts it out with a quote, and the quote was from Green Day, which was, so take the photographs and still frames in your mind, dot, dot, dot. And it's about pointing to things that people might be grateful for. Um, can I tell you the reason? Yeah, and then tell us about this uh, moment. Okay, Billy Joe Armstrong, who wrote Good Riddance, he's in Green Day, um, in 1993 about his girlfriend named Amanda who moved to Ecuador and he named the song Good Riddance to show his anger towards her. 
so, but like the lyrics are like, of, of, it seems like a sweet song. It's not like an angry song. So I feel like there's a dissonance. Well, maybe it is a sweet song, but maybe it's like I said, maybe he's being kind of smart alecky about it. I don't know. Like, I'm just pulling this from Wikipedia. So um, I don't really know what, let's see. Yeah, it, now I'm kind of looking through it, and it's just talking about where it charted. So that's yeah. the only thing I found. All right. So it may have been about his girlfriend. He may have been being snarky. Sweetie, why did you do um, this uh, moment? So grateful pointing, I I actually put that one out on Thursday instead of Friday. They usually come out on Friday, but Thursday was Thanksgiving, as we know. And I like grateful pointing because I've talked about it before, but it's this idea of when you're grateful for something, in um, a way of acknowledging it is pointing to it. You can literally do it like pointing to someone. And so it kind of creates a memory um, or you can do it in your mind. Like, you know, I'm looking at this and um, I'm going to, you know, take it I'm going to make a, a brain imprint about this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when we talked about grateful pointing before, it was a long time ago, it was probably 2015 or something. And we talked about that scene in the office when uh, Jim and Pam got married and they would pretend that they had a camera. Yeah. In the, you know, and they'd be like, click. And that was and their that version was their of their version pointing. of grateful pointing is like, you just take a, you know, and take a photograph, just like they said in Good Riddance. Thanks, Toddy. He's pointing to me. I'm pointing to you, too. That's right, babe. And it's just, you know, it's not for the other person to say, why are you pointing to me? It's for you to acknowledge something that is enjoyable, good, funny. It's stopping time for a second. What I like about it is that your invitation is to literally point yeah. at it. Mm-hmm. And it... it, it it moves it from your brain to your body. And into your memory, into too. Into your memory. Mm-hmm. So anyways. Um, yeah. All right. So a few quick takes before we move on. Oh, boy. This is uh, Captain Obvious time. Are they about sports? Uh, one of them is going to be about okay. sports. Okay. I've realized that a lot of your um, quick takes are about sports. Um, you'll find out. Okay. So first thing is, um, for the first time, women outnumber men in the New York Philharmonic. Oh, good an all-male ensemble for most of its 180 years. The orchestra now has 45 women and 44 men. 27 of the 30 violinists are women. So apparently violin is a very women-centered instrument, which I did not know. You know, I think about that, and I think the most famous violinists, I see men in my mind, mm-hmm. um, but I definitely, there's a few women I'm thinking of too. So yeah, I, I kind of see it as... What's the difference between a violin and a fiddle? Anything? I don't know. I, I, I don't think know it that. might be the same thing, but anybody who knows the difference. Well, our oldest you. daughter played viola, which yeah. is different than a violin. That's a different pitch or different note. Yeah, it's, different it's more, key. Yeah, it's like a lower, lower, it's like a bigger instrument. Yeah. But I don't know what the difference is with a fiddle. Uh, number two, Olivia Pichardo, a freshman walk on at Brown, is the first female athlete in Division One history to be named an active varsity, to be on an active varsity baseball roster. Um, first time ever baseball. She's playing with the boys, with the men. So you're telling me there's a Brown student. She's a woman. She walked on and she made the team and she made the team. That's fantastic. What she's saying is it's kind of crazy to know that I'm living out my dream right now and my ideal college experience that I've always wanted. Nearly 20 women have been members of the collegiate baseball rosters, uh, but she's the first to do so at the division one level. And then my last quick take is I have this um, mechanism for more inner peace. Are you okay. ready, babe? Sure, sure. 
I've already called you babe twice. I'm already annoying myself <laughs> and everybody, and everybody else everybody listening. Else. Um, <clears throat> I have been putting my phone on do not disturb. Yes. You did uh, this over Thanksgiving. Most of the days when I'm not working and at night. And here's what's crazy. One is my phone doesn't buzz. Right. It's so wonderful. And Cameron helped me figure out that I could um, assign certain people on my phone as favorites. Uh So my phone is on Do Not Disturb, but if you call me or text me, it comes through. So So are the favorites the circles on the top? Don't ask me how to do it because she did it for me. All I'm saying is I can put Do Not Disturb on because I could see a lot of moms and dads saying, yeah, but I need to be available to my kids. You can still, it's basically Do Not Disturb for the entire world with the exception of whoever you want to be disturbed by. I wonder, so I think I'm already answering my question because these, uh, you guys can't see, but I'm showing Todd my texts, uh, yeah. that, that word. Yeah, those are not favorites. That's, those are pinned conversations. Those are pinned conversations. Okay. That's another thing I learned is the pinned conversations. But aside from that, I just think that my days go better. And my kids are like the best examples of the craziness of a cell phone. Mm-hmm. Their phone buzzes all the time. Well, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you on that oh. because their phone is on do not disturb a lot. Is it? Most of the time when I go text the girls, especially at school, it'll say Skyler's so and so is silenced or Cameron's so and so is silenced. So I think they use do not disturb more than you think. I'm just more thinking about when they're showing me something on their phone, almost without exception, there's like that little drop down notification that comes in. It's just quite so that's when they're active with their phone. It's just funny because of all the Instagrams and snaps or whatever it is. They, I think having Snapchat on top of text and Insta and everything, and they, and there's probably other things. What's the one thing that they really like where it's just the pictures? It's not just, it's not Insta, but it's the pictures, but you can't really comment on them. You're talking to the wrong person. Okay. Anyway, they, they just have a bunch more ways to be in touch with each other and communicate. And I think Snap is the most insistent yeah. way. Um, so can I say something about the messages, the pinned messages at sure. the top of my text? They're so funny because when you pin somebody like, and then they text you, it it's a little bubble out of their mouth. So the text is a little, it's like a little bubble out of their mouth. Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. So like if you text me right now, then it'll just look like it's come, because I've got a picture of Todd. Nobody's watching this, but no. I've got a picture of Todd and it'll say like his, so it's cute. And it's an easy way to uh, organize who you want to, who you text most frequently. Because before I would always have to like click on the new text. And so that's another trick. Well, I have you and then each of the girls and then our family one and then my sister. That's what I have at the top. What do you have at the top? Um, same thing. I got my family. I got the individuals, the group family text, and then two college buddies. So you don't have your sister or your dad or your brother? I have my dad. Yeah, my family. Oh, your family. So can I do more pinned? Yeah, oh. I have like nine. Oh, okay. I thought I could only do so six. So if you're listening to this, you're like, what are they talking about? <laughs> Ask your kid yeah. how to pin texts. Pin texts. And it just makes it easier to text people without fiddling with your phone too much. And also ask them how to put your phone on Do Not Disturb. You may already know that. And also ask them to, what was the other thing that you just learned? I don't remember. It was something about putting, yes, you did. You said have um, contacts favorites. Yeah. Oh, you have to do that. The Do Not Disturb need, if you want to have certain people that can intrude on your Do Not Disturbness, uh-huh. you can do that. You just need to make them favorites. I don't know. There's a way to do it. Google it or ask your kids. Yeah, ask your kids. It's a way for them to teach. So... There's 10 things on this list. 
And I don't know if we're really? going to get to them all. Are there 10? There are. I thought there were only six. Okay. And the title of this thing is, Why Does My Child's Behavior Trigger Me? And like I said, we're going to zoom out a bit on this. Okay. And instead maybe say, why do thing? Why do people... It's why am I triggered? Why am I triggered? Mm -hmm. Very good. So the first one, and maybe we'll spend like one minute on one of them and 20 minutes on the other. Who knows where this is going to go? Wish we had a little soundbite that just was someone going, why am I triggered? Um, Yeah, we don't have that, unfortunately. (laughs) We have this. (laughs) Is that what you're thinking? That does not match up. All right. You know? No. No, no. Okay. Uh -uh. Those Um, are scary. Number one. It triggers your shame or guilt. So why do we get triggered? Because it triggers our own shame or guilt. I think this is the, well, I'm going to say this about all of them. I'm going to be like, this is the big one. Um, I think the shame and guilt thing is huge. And I think it's the one that we're most quickly to deny. Mm-hmm. And, 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 well, let me put two words in there. I think we'll quickly deny it or it's unconscious. Yeah. I think guilt is where we'd be like, that's when we try and guilt our kids back, yeah. you know, like with, I've done all these things for you and you're not, you know, you're still bugging me about this. Mm-hmm. Like we, we throw guilt on them because we're feeling guilty. Yeah. Um, and I'm not even saying we should feel guilty. This isn't a me pointing out the guilt is something we should be carrying, but I think we sometimes project our own guilt on our kids. And then the shame piece is the belief, you know, some deep belief that we're not doing it good enough, (laughs) that we are somehow missing a chip or that we are not showing up in the way other parents do, or that our kid be struggling is our fault. And so again, we, we end up feeling really, really triggered by them because they bring up that feeling. Shame is a, um, when we talk about the word shame, we can be very like low key about it. Like, Oh, you know, this is what shame is like or whatever, but feeling shame is really an awful feeling. Um, do you know what happens to you when you feel shame? Do you have the body memory of um, that? Nothing comes to me. You know, the whole Brene Brown that everybody loves to quote, including us, is guilt is when you feel bad about something you did. Shame means you feel bad about who you are. I, I can't, I mean, of course I've felt shame, but I, I, I'm like usually pretty experience? good. No, I, I don't think I do. I'm guessing it like is an overwhelming feeling like of like depression is obviously different, but like a whole body gut oriented. I can feeling. bring it up for you. You ready? Sure. Okay. T- two different Make situations. me feel shameful, sweetie. Well, I can bring up the feeling in your body. You uh, can remember it. Um, two, two things that happened, but you had a similar experience. Losing your wallet or uh, losing $200 yeah. when we went to Vegas yeah. because you... What did you do? You left it somewhere? Um, there was something where you're like, oh my God, I threw it away. Yeah. I put like... $160 in my cargo shorts. And you even said to me, remind me that I remind did this. Remind me that I did this because we were going to go maybe gambling. Yes. And we decided not to gamble. So I had all this cash in my wall, in my pocket. Yeah. In my billfold. In your billfold. <laughs> I said billfold to the girls the other oh day. They were God. like, what? But at least you caught yourself. Channeling grandpa energy. Totes. Billfold. Um, and then because I like to purge and I gave it, I gave those shorts away to Salvation Army because- you threw them in oh, the garbage. And the here's garbage. what's right. so weird about that whole story. I almost felt, you know, again, I don't really believe that we're being tested, but yeah. it was an interesting experience that you would wear those shorts, you'd put money in there, you would say to yourself, I don't want to lose this money just in case we don't lose it or use it. 
and that you then the next day would be like, I think I'll throw these away because you don't usually throw clothes away. No, it, they were like fraying ripped at up. the bottom. They were ripped up. They just were, they had, they had had their moment in time and it was time to get rid of them. And I like, I've had these shorts for like six years or something yeah. like that. And I, the day I decide to throw them away happens to be the only day that $160 happens to be in the pocket. And you, I use the word shame because... It, I feel like with money. And the other one was when you lost your dad's coat. Yeah, the leather jacket. And there's this thing about money. Oh, yeah. That it, it brings something up in it me. It does, where sure. you're like, this is, you don't say these words, but your body language is, this is the worst possible thing I could have yeah, ever done. Right. Yeah. And then I think what it, we ended up going to dinner that night and I said, you know what? I need to release this mm-hmm. energy. So I did a shot of tequila. Yes, I recall. <laughs> and it kind of helped. Did it? it? A little bit. Well, I just needed some symbolic gesture that's to what I was get rid of this worry. And I didn't want it to mess up our date together. I would say, for everybody listening, it's not the tequila that made Todd feel better. Zen parenting moment. Drink tequila. No, it was the symbolic gesture of I am going to let go. Like I tend to, um, you know, of course I have a glass of wine and, you know, have have drinks occasionally. It's not that I don't do that, but I tend to do things a little more like I'll write a note and burn it, or mm-hmm. I will put something in the wish jar, or I will, you know, write something um, on my hand, or I'll write something on the ground and then like get rid of it, scuff it with my feet. Like the, the symbolic gesture is I am not going to allow this mm-hmm. to take down my emotional well-being. Yeah. And and so yours was like yours was like an effort kind yeah. of thing. Like I'm not gonna worry about uh-uh. this. Yeah. Uh number two, you ready? Um yeah. Are we done with talking about shame and guilt? Yeah, because we're probably gonna be talking about it for the next Got nine it. of them. Okay, keep going. It causes you to question your parenting. So think about yeah. that. When our kid, let's say our kid misbehaves, mm-hmm. and like I said, there'll be a lot of overlap. Um, well, I would be like, hey, that's not the kid I brought up. This is not the way my kid ought to behave. Yeah. So I all of a sudden think, oh, I did something to make this happen. So I am going to get really super reactive. Yeah, I think that a very natural first response to behavior that is uncomfortable is what did I do wrong or what did I teach you that makes you think this is okay? And I don't always think that's a bad – it doesn't have to be the first stop along the the route, but I think it's important to be self-aware about what are the lessons that – where did this maybe come from or why does this child feel like they're they're put out by this? It may not be your behavior – but you're still doing, you're still researching a little bit, like where are they in space and time and how can I understand them? And there may also be things where, um, you know, you're, what is it that you're saying in front of your kids? Like, for example, let's use something tangible here. So you are, you're teaching your, you know, you've got older kids and they're learning how to drive. And the way that they're driving is they're like annoyed at people or honking at people or trying to go around people or they're like, why is everybody so slow or get that pedestrian out of the way? And do you drive that way? Mm-hmm. Have they witnessed that? Now, maybe you don't, and maybe this is just them, but it is worth a moment to be like, have I been role modeling this? Um, and then sometimes it's things like it can be more challenging. Like maybe if you're in a, a separation or a divorce situation and you talk about your partner or ex-partner poorly in front of your kids, and then your kid starts to have opinions about them or you, sometimes that boomerangs back the other way where they're annoyed at you for talking about their 
other parent who they are half of. Remember, we always have to remember our kid, like if we put down our former spouse or the parent of our kid, our kid, if if the child is biological, and I guess it really doesn't even matter. It's their parent. Um, It's half of them. I would even like to say, this might take us into a completely different direction. I hear you when you say it's half mom, half dad. Part of me is like, it's not even half. It's like a and I know this isn't even what you're talking about. Like it's a third of our, my influence with our daughters. It's a third of your influence with our daughters. And it's a third of the world or culture that has influence over our daughters. So like we tend to think that it's all on us when in fact it most certainly is not. Absolutely. That's very true. And and I'll just to, you know, just delineate. Is that a word? Sure. Delineate. Delineate. Thank you. Delineate between these two things. What I was talking about really was more about how this child feels that they, if you are putting down someone who is part of their DNA and Mm -hmm. genetic makeup, they're going to be like, well, wait a second. Um, But what you're saying is that when we're talking about or with our kids or experiencing their behavior, it's, we can investigate our experience with them or their, our partner's experience or whoever is helping raise them, but it's also their experience out in the world and society and with their friends and cultural norms and and it's not all us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think as Tom much and I, as we want to think it is, yeah, or and, not. And it, it, you know, this can go two ways. It either lets us off the hook in some way, or we get too guilt and shame. We take over way it. We take, too much responsibility. Exactly, because there are things that our children can experience that we we may have done you know, a hundred things to alleviate something or to keep something from happening or hoping they learn a message or something. And because of other experiences in their life, they unfortunately go through a hard time or they don't make a choice that maybe we've been, you know, sharing. I I actually, on that note, um, our oldest daughter and um, her cousin, who is a, um, she's around the same age as our daughter. So anyway, we have, Todd has a brother who has four girls and then we have three girls and they're basically all the same age, except for their youngest, who is in fifth grade this year. So we don't have a counterpart for her, but the two oldest, JC and Ava, they were having this conversation with your sister on her podcast. The drop-in podcast? The drop-in podcast. With Shane Adams? Yes. And they were talking about how one of the most important things that parents can help with is um, not always getting super involved in their kids' problems, like allowing their kids to like go through an experience so they learn it with their own um their own choices and how it feels and and how it feels to get out of a bad situation doesn't mean that we don't show up and be a support system, but they both had examples of how it's really, it's so much better to work your way through something rather than be constantly rescued Mm. by your parents. And, um, which is very difficult for some of us parents. It is. And, and again, depending on who you are right now listening, if we're talking, if you're listening and you have a two, three and four year old, you know, this is different. Like there's a little more rescuing that have, you know, has to occur so they don't swallow things or run in the street or, you know, that's a very different thing. But as they get older, 
you have to kind of picture that you're letting go just a little bit every year, not letting go of your love or your connection. That's not what you're letting go of. You're giving them freedom and you are trusting them. And you're actually loving them by giving yes. them that freedom. You are love. The love means I, you know, I'm taking this from Maya Angelou, but love means I set you free. Mm. Love means I trust you. Love means I see you as a whole person. Love means I'm not going to I'm not going to overwhelm you with my stuff and my fears. I'm going to let you go have a life. And we do this a little bit over time. And then by the time they are adults or ready to go to college or ready to venture out on their own, even if they choose to not go to college, they can, they know that they've been trusted. They, they know who they are. And that's the goal. You're ready for number three. Yeah, go. And uh, number three is your, t- first of all, real quick. So trigger, you know, we're titling this, why am I triggered? For me, and maybe, sweetie, you can throw your two cents in of what it means to be triggered. Sure. For me, it means to be highly reactive. Yes. Um, and and trigger, you think about you, if, if you have a gun and you're pulling the trigger, it doesn't take much force to pull the trigger, but the amount of force that gets ejected from the barrel of the gun is amazingly powerful, right? Yeah. So it's like when something happens, it's seems small objectively to an observer, yet my reaction is much bigger than what somebody might objectively see it as. That, for me, is a definition of a trigger. If it's hysterical, it's historical. So a lot of triggering, which I think you're getting to right now, is because it's something that lives inside of us already. A belief system, a fear. It's hitting something that's in there that's unresolved. Exactly. And a lot of times we put that stuff on our kids and we say, you are making me feel this way when really, you know what? We talked about this last week with the thorns. Yes, we did. Yeah. Like if you, you know, listen to last week's podcast where we talk about, you know, finding, what did we call it? Uncertainty, dealing with uncertainty. But it was really about, we have certain thorns in our body, things that like are painful, literally painful to the touch. And what I mean to the touch is like when we think about it or when someone brings it up or it somehow gets like, if we, if we grew up thinking, gosh, I'll never be a good parent, you know, I just don't understand. I have no maternal instincts. And then we decide to have kids and we're super excited about it. And then they say something like, you're not making good choices, mom, or I don't like what you're doing, mom. And then all of a sudden that thing floods back where we're like, I, I don't have maternal instincts. That's what I always believe. None of that's true, but it's a historical feeling or vibe that it ends up being kind of a thorn. Mm-hmm. So they, they trigger it really quickly. Um, so number three, you are taking the behavior personally. Right. And we talked about this last week, but I'm going to say it anyways. Okay. A summary as written by Don McGoat Ruiz, who wrote Four Agreements, Nothing others do is because of you. What others say and do is a result of their own dream or perception of their rules. We all make rules about how things should be, but when you're immune to the opinions and actions of others, you won't be the victim of needless suffering. And I love that. I use Don Miguel Ruiz's work in my class with my college students, but we also have to make sure that we don't use it to bypass Mm -hmm. because the whole idea that we are not going to be triggered or take something personally is silly. Yeah, Yeah. it's silly. Of course you are. I think what he's talking about or what he's hoping we get to is questioning it and recognizing that in his language, everybody's watching their own movie. Everybody's the protagonist in their own movie and that people are having their own adventure in their head and that they sometimes make you the villain or they think that you cause something going on in their life. One way that I see a good practice Uh is I sometimes find myself taking 
uh, things personally that have nothing to do with uh, another person. And what I mean by that is, let's say I have a big golf weekend uh -huh. planned and it decides to rain for two days. Like I could see myself taking that personally and there's really nobody to blame unless you want to blame mother nature. You just said it decides to rain. Do you uh, mean, do the you weather, mean... the weather decides to the rain. Weather, the weather decides. Yeah. Yeah. The weather is not cooperating and I would take that personally and get really reactive to it. Or maybe a little bit deeper dive is somebody cuts you off on the road. Right. And you take that really personally. Why do we have to take that well, personally? Well, again, you're the protagonist in your movie and you're like, how dare that person disrespect me? How mm -hmm. dare that person cut me off? Don't they know who I am? Which is a deep, that's a projection as well. Because if we are not feeling uh, like content, uh, strong, um, grounded, in ourselves, we tend to point to everybody else to why we don't feel that That's way. actually a really good transition for the next one. Okay. You have an unidentified need in that moment. So for instance, you're hungry or you're tired. Now, I don't know if I would put this in the category of triggered um, because it's not really something historical that I haven't worked through. I'm just grumpy because I'm hungry or tired. Oh, I think it works perfectly. Yeah. It's just a little more surfacey. Yeah. So think about all the parents who get hangry. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like where, and I think this is a self-care thing. And again, we're never going to do this perfectly, but if you are not feeding yourself, if you are not sleeping yourself, if you are not drinking water, if you are not moving, and I'm saying moving, cause I don't care if you exercise or whatever, just as long as you're, you know, just walking around, um, then you, you may not feel great. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you're annoyed at everybody else. You're snarky to everybody else. You're like, you know, like everybody else is making your life miserable, but the choices you're making on a daily basis to not eat or to not sleep, that's what's creating in you that discomfort. Well, and that's not taking responsibility. Correct. For yeah. our well-being. Yeah. Like I know I'm less likely to get triggered if I'm not tired and if I'm not hungry. So when I am tired and hungry and you say something that just lands in the wrong way, I'm much more likely to get reactive towards you. You just don't have reserves. Yeah. I mean, we really have to think about it as like, a, you know, filling up a gas tank or as far as like filling up energy or we can't, we can't run. I mean, you know, what's the oldest self-care analogy in the book? You know, you got to put on your own ox oxygen mask first. You can't. Take if you're gonna take care of other people, you have to take care of yourself first. Twenty years ago, when I was talking about this, people would get angry. Hope now, twenty years later, everyone's cool with this. You got to take care of yourself first, then you can take care of other people. It's just the way it works. It's not a, you know. Okay, Todd, we could have totally used this when the kids were younger. It would have been a way to entertain them in the car or maybe wind them down before bed. It's this streaming service called Pinna. Pinna is an audio streaming service just for kids that includes tons of podcasts, audiobooks, and more for ages 3 to 12. They offer some well-known stories and so many original podcasts and audiobooks, which kids are really enjoying. Plus, Pinna is a game changer for daily card trips, to and from school, and for weekend getaways. Not only will parents love listening, but the kids will beg to turn on Pinna the second they step in the car. It's a routine they can look forward to and makes car rides more enjoyable for the whole family. Pinna is offering our listeners one year of Pinna for 50% off. Just head to Pinna. Dot fm slash promo to sign up and use the coupon code ZPR at checkout. That's Pinna, P I N N A dot FM slash promo. Now on with the show. 
take care of other people. You have to take care of yourself first. 20 years ago when I was talking about this, people would get angry. Hope now, 20 years later, everyone's cool with this. You got to take care of yourself first, then you can take care of other people. It's just the way it works. It's not a, you know, it's not something like, yeah, I'm more important. It's just, it's almost, I, it's, I don't, I don't like the word science because that's too literal, but this is how A, then B, like there's no other way to do it. If you get depleted, you will not be good for the people around you. It is a gift to everybody around you. Now, what I will say Again, I always have to think about my younger moms because they're listening to this show and, you know, they're like, okay, thanks, Kathy. I can't sleep very well because I'm still nursing or I'm co-sleeping or, you know, I've got kids waking me up in the middle of the night. You and I have lived through that. And there's also like, you know, the day is going by in such a way that I feel like I'm not feeding myself or sustaining myself because I'm on everybody else's schedule. I totally know. And sometimes we just have days like that. Um, but if you're finding that that's habitual where, or that's becoming recurring, then there's something that needs to shift. I mean, that is a sign for you to, um, you know, do something different. If it be that, you know, taking turns with getting up with the kids or a couple nights a week, you sleep in a different room so you can actually get some sleep. Um, if it's, you know, making sure you have food in your car. That was my new thing when my kids were little. I started putting food in the car for them, mm -hmm. but also for me because yeah. we were in all, we were in the car so much and then it'd be like two o'clock and I hadn't eaten. So you have to, you know, for us with older kids, self-care looks different. But when we have younger kids, it's just as important. We just have to be more creative. Yeah. Uh, next one. You feel your child is intentionally being disrespectful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think this is, yeah, I don't know. Does, does any human being like being disrespected? And even the idea of being disrespected, um, it's such an interesting thing because most of the time, if you think about the word disrespect, that means I deserve some form of acknowledgement that you're not giving to me. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of it is made up. Now, if you my if my wife disrespected me or my kids disrespected me, I could see it being uh, triggering me more easily versus a guy walking down the street. But even the whole idea of like it's it's their perception, not one that I have a whole lot of control over. Well, I think before we even dive into it, what is disrespect yeah, to right. each person? Because to one person, it's that you looked at them a certain way. Right. You know what I mean? Someone walked down the hallway, you looked at them a certain way, and someone's like, you know, you're disrespecting me. To another person, it's something like you're getting, you're getting sworn at or someone's throwing stuff at you. Yeah, you're disrespecting me. So there is a very big yeah, um, a, continuum yeah, there right. of what that means. And depending on who you are, it's going to look different because my, it's going to be from your, your experience growing up. My example growing up, I was like 11 years old. I think I've shared this story in the podcast, but I'll share it again. I was walking down the street. I was staying at my buddy's house who lived in the city and the kids were a little bit different uh -huh. further in the city. And I was just staring at the kids across the street. They were about my age. And I don't know what my intention was, but I was looking at them. The kids ran over and one of them pulled a knife on yeah. the three of us. Yeah. And I got scared. And my buddy, who was a hothead, we, we were playing racquetball and he like tried to hit the guy with a racquetball. I'm like, we're not getting into a fight with these city kids who have a knife. Yeah. So like I tried to like chill out, chill everything out. And we walked away and everything was fine. But in in and this is big in guy code, like the idea of disrespect. Um, I think it is 
unfortunately, a much more important thing than it needs to oh, be in men I and boys. I completely agree with you. I think that, um, and again, this kind of, again, let's we're going to speak very generally. This is not always true, but I think women often absorb a disrespect and either speak about it later with somebody else, talk it through at a different time, or just continue to absorb it. And I think men are more reactive and tend to be more violent with mm-hmm. disrespect. And I mean, violent with language and violent with bodies. Like mm-hmm. I don't, that's not always the case. There's plenty of, you know, men who, do, who absorb and there's plenty of women who are more reactive, but typically that's what you tend to see. And I would say that there are some people, and I'm just thinking of women I've worked with and myself also in this case, is if you are somewhat of a codependent person, if you believe that other people's emotions are your responsibility, then you don't see disrespect as much as you see, I need to make this person feel better. Yeah. Or they're mad, it's probably my fault, how can I change this? So I think depending on your personality type, that's kind of what I mean about um you know, depending on how you were raised, if you were raised believing that you're supposed to be nice and make everybody feel good, then disrespect can be difficult to acknowledge. Mm -hmm. Like you're like, okay, am I, or we feel it when we really break down and we're like, wow, that was totally disrespectful to me. But in the moment we feel deserving of it or that we somehow, um, are in charge of it or created it, you know, there's so many different avenues. So, you know, this is, and, then the other part of this is the belief system about who children are supposed to be, like this belief of that hierarchy that, you know, parents are up here and children are below and you don't talk to me that way simply because I'm a grown up or I get to speak to you any way I want, but you don't have a voice, child. And so we will call, you know, we have like, we have buzzwords for it. We'll say you're being sassy, you're being dramatic, you're being disrespectful. You know, it's our parenting words to say, you don't, you don't talk to me that way. Even though, what are we trying to develop with our children, regardless of age? relationship. Sure. So why do why do we believe that it's okay for us to treat them in a certain way, use certain words, be disparaging, make fun of them, embarrass them? And that and then but they can't have they can't say anything about it? Sure. Like I think that is the that is the where people have grown up in a certain way where maybe they were the ones who mm-hmm. were being made fun of by their parents or adults or just didn't have any power. Yeah. And so they look at being a parent as their opportunity for power. And it's probably subconscious. I don't think any parent is like, hey, I want to overpower my children every day. I don't think anyone wakes up thinking that. But I think it's this like deeply embedded belief that we're supposed to be constantly, we can do whatever we want and they can't. Right. And and I, again, as a reframe, these people that come into the world that we help bring into the world, we're developing a relationship with them. This is not our opportunity to have power over somebody. It's our opportunity to help a person evolve and develop. And treating a three-year-old with respect, um, treating a 17-year-old is, I I don't, it's not about age. I think we acknowledge that. Although this will be a detour, should we talk quickly about what Rosalind Wiseman taught us about the difference between respect and dignity? Yeah, so um, respect is something that's more earned, something that, you know how we'll say you have to respect adults? 
Rosalind in with cultures of dignity, she she kind of she just separates these things by saying we should always treat people with dignity, no matter who we are. They have inherent self-worth. They are another human being. We don't have the right to dehumanize, put someone down just for fun. You know, that that's that sense of inherent dignity we all have. Respect is something that's earned. Mm-hmm. So when someone, if somebody has a coach who is awful, who is like harmful, who embarrasses the the kids, who is, um, you know, puts them down in front of people, who yells in their face and then says, and you have to respect me? Yeah. that No, you lost that privilege yeah. by the way you treated me. And, you know, the the bullet point that we're going over is you feel your child is intentionally being disrespectful. I think Rosalind's separation of those two terms is important because, yeah, maybe you as the parent have earned that respect Mm -hmm. because you have guided this young child and you are being disrespected. But then we can't forget that we need to treat everybody with dignity even when we get disrespected. Correct. So that's the the thing is, you know, just finishing that sentence about the coach and then we're like, yeah, and you think this kid's going to respect you? No way. But I'm not then saying, so the kid gets to yell at you and put you down and write something on the wall about you. I'm not saying that that gives them permission. There's no dignity in that. There's no dignity in that. It's it's, There's lots of pieces um, to to being in relationship with people and and it's and it's really about your own morality. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's less about here's what's right and wrong and it's more about what kind of person do I want to be in the world and I shouldn't be forced to respect somebody who it's almost impossible. You can't force someone to respect someone. That those things are earned in yeah. in relationship and how someone shows up in the world. But I can be a human being who treats everybody with dignity and that's kind of the message you know, that's the goal of what we want our kids to understand. And we first have to treat ourselves with dignity. That's part of it too. Like how do we show up in the world and, and how do we treat our own bodies? How do we, you know, how do we treat ourselves? What do we, um, you know, do we ask for help and know that we are worthy of help, you know, or do we think I am not deserving of any of these things? And that's a, a self, um, compassionate, a lack of self-compassion, I should say, or a lack of self-confidence. Um, and those are things that we can work on. Um, we're going to skip over the next one, okay. I think, just because I'll say it and maybe we'll say one sentence. You were already stressed or irritated. And I think it's too similar to the hungry, You're tired hungry. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when we're, when we're, when the gas tank is empty, the odds of us not being triggered is not very likely. And can I say one thing about that? The one sentence would be that it's okay that occasionally that happens. Like I, I have had days where I've had to explain to my husband or my children, I don't have it today. Like today, A, B, and C happened, or I am exhausted because I had to be up at night. And so the, the ability to have this conversation with you is not working. Mm-hmm. So I can take responsibility for the fact that I'm stressed and overwhelmed or hungry or tired or not feeling good. I But I let them know I can't be in this conversation because I'm not going to make great choices. Well, the tricky part that you just said, I agree with you 100 the tricky part is usually when we're stressed out or irritated or hungry or tired, we our ability to be self-aware is not that great. So you're pretty good at it when you are in that place. You're like, hey, listen, I don't have it tonight. Most people don't have that awareness mm-hmm. and they just react. So, And they justify it by saying... I was overwhelmed, so you're just going to have to deal with it. Yeah. Versus the opposite is the next day, if they weren't self-aware, to say, I apologize. 
I was overwhelmed yesterday and I took that out on you. Well, and what a gift. If we can, if I can be self-aware enough to say, you know what? I don't have it tonight. I'm cranky. Yeah. What, because in partnership, it's really sometimes, I sometimes feel like I want to read your mind. Mm -hmm. And if you can grant me the gift of not having to read your mind and just tell me that you're having a bad day and you don't have it tonight, then that's so much easier. Not to say that it lets me off the hook. I still want to tune in and see where you are and kind of get the energy and see see how you're feeling. But if if I could own the fact that I'm in a grumpy mood and tell everybody about it beforehand, I think that's uh, a wonderful gift to the people around me. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the mixture of self-awareness and responsibility. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that every day we get to tell everybody we're in a bad yeah. mood. Uh, it's it's Tuesday. another one. We got another grumpy one today. Um, because another part of responsibility is recognizing that we have those days and those moments. And that's just the way life goes. Well, that's the thing. If you pick up a pattern, you're like, oh, I'm being grumpy six out of the last seven days. Mm-hmm. Like that's the time that if I find myself doing that, I need to take responsibility. Like something's not working here and something needs to change. What happens is I sometimes get stuck and I keep trying to do the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. That's what I was going to say is I really feel like there is this, we, we have these default mechanisms where we'll be like, but I have to, cause it's work or I have to show up for the school because I'm on this committee or I have to. And there are, we, it's like this default setting where we think that really is the most important thing in the world until something really important in then the world all of a sudden happens it falls off. and you're like, Oh wait, this Maybe one. It wasn't. And so I guess when you are feeling overwhelmed six out of seven days, that is a red, not a red flag. What is it? A, it's a, it's a bell going off saying there's, this isn't working. Now, what does that mean? I don't know. Does it mean you need to lessen what you're doing? Does it mean you need to talk to somebody? Does it mean you need to go to bed earlier? It's different for every person. You may need to try a bunch of different things, but I think the idea of saying to everybody else, you're just going to have to deal with me being in a bad mood because that's what work expects from me. That isn't fair. That's like a dumping on the people you love the most. Yeah. And even if you can't, even if you can only get it to four out of seven days, at least you're demonstrating to your yeah. family, I care enough to 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 try to figure this out. The key to happiness or success is progress, right? Yeah. As long, if you're if, if you go from six days of grumpiness out of seven to four, yeah, that's significant progress. It is, and and being open with them about what you're doing, like you know, you don't have to show them your checklists and make sure that they're like on your team all the time, but saying you know I'm trying I'm trying to go to bed earlier because I realize I'm. I'm not great in the morning or um, I want to do dinners because I'm realizing I'm skipping it and I'm, and I don't need that. Or I'm going to come home earlier from the office because I'm missing, you know, dinner time with everybody. Like we can speak about the things that we are attempting to do. I think the worst thing we can do is just put our head in the sand, blame everybody else and, and, and not, and think we have no power. Uh, Next up, you expect that they should know better. I think this is more specific to parenting or it could be to business and employees. And I think employers. it can be with partnership. That's the read my mind thing. Yeah. You should know what I feel. You should know what I need. And to kids, it's you, I've taught you, I've trained you, you should know better. Children are just learning how to live. <laughs> they have just begun. You have had 80 thousand different opportunities to learn something, they may be on number three. Like the idea that we tell our kids, 
put away your shoes and that the next day they haven't done it and <laughs> we are like, you're grounded or you're disrespecting me, they are learning it. It doesn't mean we then put away their shoes. We say, you got to remember to put away your shoes or how can you remember to put away your shoes or, you know, let's, let's have a few things on the board that's expect that you're expected to do before you walk out the door. Like you can help them with systems. You can help them even occasionally say, I'll walk through it with you, especially if they're young. But the idea that we think young children or even teenagers yeah, are that, supposed to totally get things. That's where I was going to go. Yeah, is go ahead. like Just think of like relationships with teenagers. Yeah. Like they're just starting to date yeah. or whatever. Um, and you know what's funny is like I feel like a lot of grownups struggle just as much as teenagers. <laughs> totally. Like there's this like la- – what is it about intimacy that is so high stakes, so tricky – um, and you know, there's plenty of couples out there that I feel like I'm better at being your boyfriend now than I was 20 years ago or your husband. But I think I've learned through a lot of mistakes and I think there's a lot of, and that doesn't mean I'm perfect. Of course I still screw up, but there's, I, I feel like I'm screwing up less and that's the idea. And for us to expect teenagers to not make colossal mistakes is unrealistic. Well, and that's the question is, is it a screw? Sometimes it's a screw up. Sometimes it's a text that they shouldn't have sent or something. You know, I, sometimes it's something where you're like, whoa, you know, let's not do that again. But sometimes it's just the way things go. And we are like annoyed at them. You know, we're annoyed at them about having this experience or that they're having these emotions and we're like, oh, get over it. Or you shouldn't have done this. Or, well, I told you so. And none of that helps. Like our job is to And it can be difficult, you know, like you have to sit in dark moments with them sometimes and, and hold your tongue about things like, you know, in, we have to let them walk through things so they can figure out what works and doesn't work. And when my kids come to me and say, I want to talk through this, they often just literally need to talk through it. I mean, sometimes and occasionally I will give um, advice and I'll be like, well, did you think about it this way? Did you look at it this way? I do a lot of reframing. You know, what about what they were thinking? But they often don't want my, this is how I would do it kind of opinion. They need to walk through it. And my girls are always like, mom, you don't understand the half of what's going on here. And they're right. And it's not because I'm not listening or I'm not there. It's not my life. There's so many variables that you don't know about. You don't. So sometimes we get a piece of information and we run with it. Like we think we understand everything. You're not in that school. You don't know those people. You don't know their friends. We have to empower our children to walk through their own challenges instead of thinking that what they're experiencing is identical to what we experience. I would say about, this is my non-scientific research, 86% of the time, 86%, not 87, not 85. Where are you, where are you getting this? Our, <laughs> our kids simply want us to hold space and to listen with compassion and empathy. And the other 14%, they actually want advice. What I, I think we as parents flip-flop that and we think 95% of the time they just want us, they want our wisdom and, and they don't need us to hold the space or we don't even understand what that means to listen without judgment. So I feel like we got it backwards. Yeah. You know, sometimes we are just a safe place to land where they can blah, 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 and tell us all these things. 
and kind of leave it somewhere. And then it becomes our job. And I'm saying this to all of the people out there who are empaths or who tend to be a little more codependent like I am, where I'm worried about everyone's feelings, is we can't then think them sharing it all means we have to clean it up. Mm-hmm. Or that everything's going to go wrong. Or you have to take it personally. Or that I have to take it personally. Or you have to like hold on to this until it's resolved. No. And that's, you know, that's been probably my work in the last two or three years is the, um, you know, and I know everybody knows this, but I'll just say it because sometimes you have to be reminded things happen and things get difficult and then they get cleared up. And in the midst of getting cleared up, something difficult happens again. We are always on, and I don't mean that life is awful. I just mean, that's the way it goes. Like we, everything, you know, our fear needs a place to land. We need to focus on something. Something needs to be not right so we can make it right. And we have to be cognizant of this kind of experience. So we can actually do like Todd and I were talking before about gratitude pointing about enjoying a moment rather than saying, I'm going to wait. I'm not really happy until my kids are, you know, in middle school or until my kid finally can ride a bike, or I'm not happy until my kid is in a college that I want them to be in. Like things continue to happen and we have to be able to uh, roll with the changes, as Ario Speedwagon would say. You ready for my sound effects? Oh, you're not gonna play Ario Speedwagon? No. The waves. This is yes. Nice. Yes. Comes in and out, man. Constantly. And not just waves of grief, waves of joy. Right. Waves of all stress. Of, yeah. Uh, challenge. Something new. Something exciting. A new opportunity, something, a surprise, like the waves, the the waves bring in new things every day, just like new shells, you know, like there's, and it's all alive and it's moving and there's interactions that don't involve us at all. Did you say just like the new chefs? Shells. Oh, shells. Just like new shells are brought in. What does chefs have to do with this? Just like all the chefs that I follow. (laughs) What was the REO thing that you were going to say? Roll with the changes by REO Speedwagon. Sweetie, there's don't, only two, don't diss two. my music. I'm not dissing. I'm just making fun of. Well, are you looking for it? Or are no, you like, you, it's not good enough to find? You're like, I'll find Green Day. <laughs> I'll find Led Zeppelin. What's it called? Because my friends will think it's cool. What's this? Um, Ario Speedwagon. Yeah. Kevin Cronin. Yeah. Lead singer. Right. What's the name? Roll with the changes. There, there it is. All right. Here we go. Okay. Rolling with the changes. You like pianos? I do like pianos. So far, I'm liking it. Okay. You like guitars? See, now it just turned... No, just wait. Wait until Kevin starts to sing. Trust. As soon as you are able, I am All right. Not an annoying song. Thank you. You're welcome, babe. I think it was number one on that album. Um, you are the only person who knows. Okay. That. Well, it doesn't matter, but I do think of that phrase, um, roll with the changes, which, um, you know, it's, I don't know, they're probably not the first people to say it, but it's the song comes into my head and, and I do it. I, and I'm not talking, it, you guys, do you remember the podcast we did about life is suffering about, you know, the, the four noble truths, you know, and the first one is life is suffering. Um, And we don't like that because that makes us uncomfortable. And then we think that, no, I just want to like life. I don't want to, you know, this, all that stuff. Life is suffering doesn't mean you're always suffering. It means that things happen, things change. Your sister and I were just talking this weekend about Thanksgiving is the price of love is grief. When you love a moment, when you love a vacation, when you love time, when you love a person, it can't be there all the time. 
you know what I mean? Like it, it ends it, it, the price of like, and then what some people do is they become cynical and they zone out and they're like, well, I'm not gonna feel anything then. I'm just going to kind of, you know what we need to do? Here's another one. Do you find Steve Winwood to be cooler than Ario Speedwagon? Probably. (laughs) You're like, I'm not going to do this. But this I can do. You can roll with it. You got to roll with it. So I don't want to go through the next three because I want to go for a run and I got to drive to Indianapolis. So I'm going to say the next three and you give me which one you want to talk about. Okay, okay. Number, I don't know if this is number seven. You feel a lack of control in this situation. Okay, all right. Their big reactions trigger your anxiety or trauma. Okay. Or lastly, you didn't realize the behavior was their way of communicating. Um, Any of those float your boat? Yeah, this is what I'm going to do. Um, just say that for the first two, I just have one sentence, and for the last one, we'll. So the fir- first one was you feel a lack of control in this situation. Yes, and I think that that is very connected to things we have already said. Where one thing we recognize when we have children is it's not like having a, a job or going to school where we do A, B, and C, and then all of a sudden things work out. It's not about goal setting. This is about a relationship with a human being. So it's constantly evolving. You do not have control of them. And I know people don't like that. You don't have control of anybody. You don't have control of anything. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Unpredictability, uncertainty is the way you roll with it, you know? Now, you can set boundaries and structure to have a sense of expectation, like this is what we're going to work on in our house. This is the way to stay safe. I'm not saying you don't do those things, but you can't make a person be a certain person. They are who they are, and relationship means you get to know them. So because we have binary thing, and be like, oh, then I don't have anything. No, you have influence. Of course you do. You just don't have control. Of course, exactly. Like, you have to set structures. You have to have rules. You have to have boundaries. You have to have expectations. Yes, you have to, you know, people always say, well, if I tell my kid, you know, that they don't have to do this, they're just never going to go to school. You go to school. That's what people do. Like, I'm not saying you let go of everything, but we can't make a person be a certain way. What we do is we move with them and learn about them and help them and support them. And same for us. What's funny is what I was about to say is, wouldn't it be great if people were exactly the way I wanted them to be? And that, or if we all had that ability. And then I think, man, that would be really boring. No, because if I would have started shaping my kids early, like say I had that ability, um, obviously I was giving them my values and my love and my connection and all that. So I feel good about that. But if I was like saying you should do this and you should do this and I was creating something for them, I wasn't fully, I didn't know myself then. So the things I would have been having them do would have been for really gross reasons yeah. like for you know dem- outside like, de- reasons. exactly like external validation and you know i've had to grow up alongside my kids and so i'm glad that i've had influence but i'm glad that i've been able to not i've been glad that they've been free sure <laughs> because then they could i i didn't overimpose my yeah. will um so what's the next one um their big reactions trigger your anxiety or trauma and you know what this is something we don't need to feel bad about that's what trauma is like things that we haven't that haven't been looked at or repressed or just things that aren't fully healed the outside world triggers them. It's again, it's the thorns and we don't need to feel guilty or ashamed of that. That's just the way things go. But if we're feeling really 
um, triggered by our children or something they say or do, I think we always start with what's going on with me. And then we can also let our children know this word or when you say this, or let's talk about when you say this to me, how this affects me. You can, it's not one or the other. You can be self-aware and also let somebody know that they're hurting you. You know, like Todd, we were just talking about this in relationship, but I know that a lot of things that come up for me, it's my stuff, but the way I can actually work through it is by letting you know how it affects me. Sure. So what I'm actually saying to you is this is who I am. So when you say this, this is how it affects me. I'll work on it, but can you not can you be part of this with me and not make it worse? Yeah. Well, can you help we, me get through it? We talked about the thorn last week and we can say the thorn may symbolize trauma. Yeah. And what we said last week is a lot of us conduct our lives to just make sure nothing touches that right. thorn instead of us working on that trauma. And what you're saying is, this is a thorn. Yes. And it's hard to even recognize what your thorns are. Right. And then to be able to communicate to the other, hey, this is a thorn I'm trying to work through. Yeah. And it can be simple stuff like when you don't text me, when you say you're going to, it makes me afraid. And it's not because I don't trust you. It's because of my history. Yeah. Or when you um, make fun of me in front of your family or whatever, I know you're trying to be funny and this is your culture and your family. But for me, it makes me feel really embarrassed. Mm. So you're you're recognizing that it may not be the intention sure. of the person, but you're like, I have to, that is what I kind of, going back to dignity, that's how I treat myself with dignity, is I don't blame and point fingers, but I also say, let's do this together. Yeah. Okay, so go on. Last, Last but not least, you didn't realize their behavior was their way of communicating. Yeah. So do you, I've been talking a lot. Do you want to take that or do you want me to go? Uh, let's see. Behavior... Um, you know, if, let's say your toddler is screaming at you for whatever, um, there's an unmet need. Yeah. So they're not making you feel bad. They're trying to get their needs met. Yep. And whether they're three or 13 and a 13-year-old comes home and is just railing on you for whatever reason, it's probably because there's a, me a need that has not yet been met. But what we do is we personalize it and we think that they're disrespecting us when in fact they're just saying, I'm sad. I'm miserable. They're not saying that. Yep. They're not expressing that. Instead, they're doing it with a more safe emotion, which would be anger. Yeah. But really deep down underneath that anger is sadness. And below that sadness is probably fear, fear yep. of not fitting in, fear of not being enough. So if we can, next time our kid goes off on us for whatever reason, if we can like go three layers deep and say, oh, this kid's just afraid of not being enough, then all of a sudden it shifts our perspective on what they're doing. And I think sometimes we have to think about them as infants. Like when you have an infant and your baby cries, what is our work? Are they wet? Are they hungry? Are they uncomfortable? Is something digging into their skin? Are they cold? And we're willing to do that work when they're really little. Right, but the minute they become... Yeah. Totally. The minute they can speak, we're like, you have to tell me exactly what you're feeling at all times. And I don't want to have to figure this out. And then it's time to look in the mirror. How often do we not communicate what we're feeling to our boss, to our employees, to our parents, to our kids, to our aunt, to our sister, to our brother? I can speak for myself. A lot of that time, I'm not sharing how I'm feeling. I'm instead acting from this reactive place. And let me say this because people may perceive that when I say with our infants, we figured it out. Sometimes we won't figure it out. Just like with our infants, sometimes they cry and we're like, I don't know what was yeah, that was about. Yeah, it could be nothing is wrong with that kid. Right. They just may need crying. to get it out. You yeah. know, they may be like, I'm just having one of the sun's too bright. You know, who knows? <laughs> but I think with our teenagers, I just want to give them the space 
to to have us not take it personally because I think that they're going through our preteens, our you know, all of our kids, they're going through things that we don't understand the full picture and sometimes they're just in a mood and instead of labeling them as moody or you know you're disrespecting me or you're dramatic let them have like um, be a soft place to land you don't have to be okay with them abusing you in some way emotionally or or them being inappropriate with language with you you don't have to allow that kind of discomfort but if they're kind of like stomping around or they don't want to talk give them some space like and then I always checking in about is there something I can do? Texting them, you know, thinking about you today, leaving a note on their door. Like it's less about I need the answer to what's wrong with you and more about I'm here if you need me. There's a difference. Like I don't need to solve all my kids' problems. I just want them to know if they need me, I'm there. Um, I want to announce something. Okay. Um, we are having Deborah Farmer Chris on Team Zen mm-hmm. Presents on December 19th. She's an education journalist. Um, she, her bylines include PBS Kids, NPR's Mind Shift, Washington Post, Boston Globe, Boston Globe <laughs> Magazine, uh, Oprah Daily. She spent 20 years as a K through 12 teacher, and she's going to be with our team. And she has a lot of children's books. We actually have them all upstairs, yes. and they're really lovely. So she's an author too, and she talks a lot about emotional awareness, a lot about these things we've been talking about today. So if you're interested, just join Team Zen. Just scroll on your phone, click on Join Team Zen. It's twenty. Is it twenty bucks a month or twenty five? Twenty five bucks a month, and you get a whole bunch of things. Yeah. Well, I was going to say we're really Team Zen is really we're kind of um, honing in. We're honing in. Like so, what you know, Deborah is going to be is we have every month we have a Team Zen presents. We bring on a author, thought leader, um, and they come speak to Team Zen. So it's like an opportunity for you to meet these amazing people and ask them questions. And then we have a, a Zen talk every month with Todd and I. So it's kind of a more personal ask personal questions. And then we have all these opportunities to join the micro communities. Join the micro communities. And everything is recorded. So if you're too busy, like, I don't have time to get on these calls. You don't have you, to be. Just do it on your own time. And then you get everything through your phone. And you don't have to do anything. I always, you know, we always, that's how I always end is here's what we're offering. Come if you want, listen if you want. It can also just, you know, Todd and I don't know, don't do things like Patreon and stuff. This is a way just to be a part of Zen Parenting Radio. Yeah, support like, us and yeah. support yourself. Uh, Team Zen, zero pressure, 100% support. Kathy also has a book called Zen Parenting, Caring for Ourselves and Our Children in an Unpredictable World. Oh, I'm also doing a speaking again, uh, engagement for the Glenbard um, Parent Series. Parent Series. I, it's on December 6th. It's on a Tuesday. Um, gosh, is that next Tuesday? Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad I'm bringing this up then. So I below, just scroll below and you can see and click on, cause I'm doing something at noon and I'm also doing something at night. So and it's on zoom. It's on zoom. Yeah. So anybody can, can come and it's about Zen parenting. So come ask me questions. Um, if there's any guys out there, check out men living connect. Once again, just scroll down and you'll see it. And Jeremy Kraft, he's a bald headed beauty. He does painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. 630-956-1800. And um, I guess that's about it. All right. Thanks, Toddy. Keep trucking. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have appreciated or enjoyed a decade of Zen Parenting Radio podcasts, please tell a friend or leave a five-star review. We are always grateful for your support. If you want more Zen Parenting, consider joining Team Zen, pre-ordering Kathy's Zen Parenting book, or subscribing to Zen Parenting Moment. You can find these opportunities and more at zenparentingradio.com. If you want to connect through social networking, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Keep trucking, and we will talk to you again next week.